Hello, Greybeardians. I'd like to start this episode with an ad for Cloud Academy, a new sponsor of Cybersecurity Greybeard. Cloud Academy has thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs in real-world cloud environments, and tools designed to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. If you're looking to get certified, Cloud Academy has dedicated learning paths for security certifications, such as Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud Platform, and Microsoft Azure, among others. Whether starting out and needing fundamentals or pursuing deeper content such as architecture or security specialties, Cloud Academy has what you need. Check out their catalog at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, my listeners can lock in 50% off the monthly price for life. Just put in the code BEARD, B-E-A-R-D, when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just build cloud expertise. Again, go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code BEARD and lock in 50% off the monthly price. Today I'm going to go ahead and talk about cybersecurity defensive tools. This episode has direct relationship to what we all do on a personal level daily, and it has direct correlation to what happens in the office as well. All of these technologies should be used by corporations, and they most definitely should be used by individuals. So I'm going to go ahead and get into some of the technologies. I'm going to mention specific vendors. I'm vendor agnostic. However, I do use some of these products, and if you have questions about them, feel free to reach out. As always, you can get in touch with me at cybergraybeard at gmail.com. So with that said, let's go ahead and get started and talk about cybersecurity defensive tools. While this list is certainly not all-inclusive for what a corporation is going to use, I do believe that it is quite uh, substantial for what individuals use. I figure most people don't use half of these, so uh, just getting in something additional is going to be an enhancement. The first thing that I want to talk about is virtual private networks or VPNs. I've written about this topic, I've spoken about it before on the show, and I've been involved with this technology for over 20 years, so I have certainly some substantial experience with it. The main benefit of a VPN fundamentally is uh, privacy and security. It is going to encrypt data point to point, so if you're going to use it personally, you're pretty much going to have split tunneling disabled. That means that 100% of your traffic will go down the VPN. What that'll do is hide your traffic from an ISP and or from anybody sniffing or snooping on the line. The encryption happens at the client level and the decryption handles at the other end. So basically what happens, I personally use ExpressVPN. However, other big brands, there's OpenVPN, Nord, N-O-R-D, NordVPN. And what happens is I'm encrypting the traffic between my client, whether it's my mobile phone, my tablet, my laptop, my desktop, and the server that is hosted by my provider. And in this case, that would be ExpressVPN. I have the ability to switch from a VPN in Chicago to one in Denver to one in Salt Lake to one in Hong Kong, etc. I can basically traverse the world and the recipient sites that I'm going to don't know it's me. They only see the IP address of the VPN server that I'm using. So at work, I had built a lab and I was doing an SSH brute force attack from my home machine. My home machine was connected to a VPN server in Hong Kong. When I then logged into the lab and I saw where the attack was coming from, sure enough, it was showing a 193 IP address, which was from Hong Kong, when in reality, I was sitting at my home in the United States sending out the traffic. But the traffic left from my computer to the VPN in Hong Kong. The VPN in Hong Kong then sent the SSH brute force attack to the server that was located in an Azure data center in the Pacific Northwest. I believe that's where we had the, uh, the host. 
So the benefit of the VPN for me is it totally obfuscated where I was. And oh, by the way, all the traffic between me and the VPN was encrypted. It was unencrypted going from, well, I was using SSH, so it was encrypted. But let's just say I was using HTTP or FTP or Telnet or another clear text uh, technology. Then it would have been clear text, HTML, HTTP. It would have been clear text from the Hong Kong uh, server to the destination. So if I simply wanted to go browse foxnews.com, if you will, uh, that would be Fox News would see that the visit was coming from Hong Kong. It wouldn't know that it was coming back to me. So VPNs are wonderful ways to both, one, obfuscate your location, and two, encrypt the traffic. My ISP has no idea what I'm doing other than going to a server in Hong Kong. Everything else I do is from that server in Hong Kong to the destination or wherever I want to go. In a future episode, I'm going to talk about Linux and Tor, the onion router, for more usage of proxies. This episode, though, I'm not going to discuss proxy technology, although I very well could. It's just not on my list. Maybe I'll do that in the future. If you have questions on proxies and how it differentiates from a VPN, let me know. There is some overlap, but fundamentally, the idea of the virtual private network is the encryption and the obfuscation. So again, uh, they're very easy to use. They're not too expensive. I think I pay $100 for a year service on three devices. And when I go out of the house, I will put my mobile phone on the VPN so the locations don't know where I'm coming from. Uh, so I do that for the privacy. The next major cybersecurity defensive tool, everybody knows this. I hope everybody uses it, and that is antivirus. There are other flavors. There's anti-malware and anti-spyware. In the end, it is all malware, bad, mal. Uh, you need to understand that when there is erroneous and nefarious software on your system, it is malware. Now, certain software focuses more on viruses, some focus on spyware, and some just focus in general on malware. I have used for many years malware bytes when I get an infection. I don't have it usually running. Um, the two that I mainly use is on the antivirus side. I use Norton, formerly known as Symantec, although there's McAfee, there's Trend Micro, there's ESET. It's important when you're dealing with virus software to know two things or do two things. One, understand what it's protecting against. Trojans, worms, keyloggers, um, rats, remote access tools. What is it that the antivirus is evaluating and investigating and purging? That's why I use a couple. The anti-spyware, I use super anti-spyware, although Bitdefender is another well-known one, as is Sophos. Sophos, ESET, Trend Micro, I believe Emisoft, all of these have all-inclusive packages. Norton and McAfee are industry leaders. They are the top. Uh, corporations use it. My company uses one of those. Other companies I've worked for have used the other. I think they're really designed to say that they cover virus, malware, spyware. With six machines in my house at one point between me and my wife and the four kids, uh, trust me, I had infections on some of those systems that none of the main ones would get, and there were even deeper tools that I had to use. But with all fairness and clarity between super anti-spyware on the anti-spyware side and Norton, uh, I have handled probably 90%. Uh, one of my children did something to a system sometime that was just a nightmare and I had to get much more aggressive. I do make sure to update and I'll talk about that in the next episode. Here I'm talking about tools and next time I'll talk about defensive actions. And again, all this stuff has to do with what happens with cybersecurity professionals in the office as well. Uh, so when I talk about the antivirus, anti-malware and anti-spyware, this is all about endpoint protection. At a corporate level, 
companies use major tools that are able to manage hundreds, if not thousands, or even tens of thousands of endpoints to handle infections. They want to have an ability to push patches from a mass level. They want to have the ability and processes in place to be able to disconnect an infected machine. If they see workstations or laptops communicating with CNC botnets, they need to have a source to do the deactivation and the cleaning. And that's where endpoint protection comes in. Endpoint protection systems are log sources for a SIM. Uh, system information and event management or security intelligence and event management. The SIM acronym has a lot of different terms. I'm not talking about that here. I don't want to get too in detail about it. Yes, you can get a SIM for home. It's not really necessary. I'll talk in the end about a HIDS, which is sort of a way to do it, but really most people only have a handful of devices, so you can handle this with standard logging. But again, with the antivirus, the anti-malware, the anti-spyware, endpoint protection, we all need to make sure that us and our loved ones are taking care of protecting our mobile devices, our tablets, our phones, as well as our workstations, laptops, and even virtual machines or whatever other endpoints you have. So make sure that you have some form of antivirus, anti-malware, and anti-spyware installed and or on hand for uh, remediation if there are issues. I certainly recommend scanning on a, a daily, if not weekly basis, or I should say weekly, if not daily basis. Have it run overnight. You won't even notice. If something happens, you'll see it pop up in the morning. I'd like to thank Populum for sponsoring this episode. Populum is a collective of premium, full-spectrum CBD supplements, skincare, and pet products designed to be part of a daily wellness routine. There are all kinds of stories in the CBD market, and Populum promises that their ingredients are safe, tested, natural, and clean with strong, full-spectrum concentrations. From their dedicated farmers to their superior customer service team, they all share one mission, to create premium, ethical, and honest CBD. Populum offers a 30-day risk-free trial and fast-free shipping on all orders. You can find Populum at Populum.com, that's P-O-P-U-L-U-M.com, and use promo code CSGB for 10% off your first order. I've used Populum for two and a half years due to plantar fasciitis and high blood pressure, and after using it for a couple of weeks, my foot pain vanished and my blood pressure dropped. While I've tried other CBD brands, none have provided the benefit that Populum does. Populum is the only CBD for me, and I recommend it for you. The next one that I want to talk about that's really, really big, Password Manager. I discussed passwords in my interview with Chris Senko of CyberWork and how we have the same problem today that we had 15, 20, 25 years ago, and that is people still have to remember a password. It stinks, but until we come up with something new and have biometrics that are uh, much more widespread and easier to use, we're going to have to continue with something that we know a password. I use a password manager and have for over a year, actually probably a couple years now. I personally use LastPass. However, I know that KeePass is a really good one. There's also Dashlane as well as others. So you can just check it out, find one. What you do with the password manager is you have a main password and it then installs on your mobile device and or your browsers. You log into the main one and then whenever you go to a page that has a password prompt, you will go ahead and enter your uh, main password to log in and then it will just autofill your username and password. It will generate passwords for you and they should be gibberish and they should be 16 characters or more. It's kind of funny that using the best practices by a user is not only always handled by websites. I've actually seen banking sites that will only allow up to 12 characters, and they don't even allow special characters, so it can only be alphanumeric. The beauty of the password managers 
is that they'll go ahead and let you do any number. Um, I think mine uses at least up to 32. I don't really go beyond that. Um, so the benefits of password managers is number one, gibberish, complex passwords that are not going to be brute forced. And also it allows you to have a different password for each site. So I don't have the same password really anywhere. The only times I see an issue with this are going to be for the online services like Hulu, Netflix, Vudu, other services that I'm logging into from what I would consider an IoT device like my television or my um, uh, Fire TV stick or a, a DVD player that has the, the smart features on it. I, there are certain times you cannot install the client for the password manager, and if that's the case, it's not very convenient to use. Otherwise, I'm looking up the password in the database on my phone, and then I'm typing in gibberish online. So for the most part, 99% of the websites and 99% of the places that I need a password, the password managers work. So strongly recommend that, not just at a personal level, but at a professional level. Companies really need to be doing this. We run into too many problems where people are using the same password over and over, and then you run into an issue with credential stuffing where they're breached and they lose a password through a hack at a site and lo and behold the people that had an account at Ashley Madison were using the same one at their bank at, at Bank of America and then the hacker that has it through Ashley Madison is able to brute force uh, with credential stuffing and they just broke in so password managers help with that as well. The next item I want to talk about is multi-factor authentication or MFA. We talk about MFA there's three all right of the multi there's three. There's who you are, biometrics, what you know, a password, and what you have, a PIN card or a mobile phone, an authenticator of that device. Uh, that's what you have. The sites that are using this, the, the technology that are using this are basically saying, okay, Cyber Graybeard, go ahead and give me your username, give me your password, and then I'm either going to text you or email you a code, or you can use the Google Authenticator or some other mechanism to have an authentication number uh, come back and you give it to us to show us that you not only know your username and password, but you have a device that we know you're supposed to have. I highly recommend using the authenticator capabilities because if you are SIM hijacked and the, uh, in the attacker then has your username, they have your password, and now they have your mobile device, you get a... a, a um, uh, text with it, too late, you've been SIM hijacked, and now you're at risk. It's certainly better than not having anything. However, I definitely recommend the authenticators uh, instead of having a text or email come to you. With that said, I want to point out that it's imperative that your email password is the most secure password that you have, as much so as the password manager, obviously. That one has to use MFA, and you have to make sure that your password manager is secure. If they get in there, they have the keys to the kingdom and your toast. But when it comes to MFA, uh, you, uh, you go ahead and use your mobile device with the authenticator and secure that email password because so many places will reset passwords with emails. I see it all the time. Even the other day, I got one from Yahoo. Hey, we see you're trying to log in. Is this you? No, it's not me. Netflix does the same thing. PayPal, LinkedIn, all these places are coming and sending emails that you tried to log in. That's wonderful. Thank you for doing that. It's just imperative that you have your email secured as well. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up with a couple of others that are quite a bit more complicated. I'm not going to go too much in detail. I just want to mention what they are. The first one has to do with digital certificates. So you're signing your emails. That's for non-repudiation to make sure that, hey, yeah, I sent it. It's mine. I can't say it wasn't mine because it was signed with my certificate. You can go ahead and get free certificates or even um, generate your own. And then the other one has to do with email encryption. I've started doing this more and more. There are services out there. There's ProtonMail. There's Zoho, Startmail, 
These are companies that the best of them are going to be located in a country that supports privacy like the Netherlands or Switzerland. Uh, I know India has one that is going to protect them and protect your logs. And it's the same thing with the VPNs. Uh, I may get into that in the future. But for now, with the email encryption, it's important to understand that the emails are encrypted at rest and they are encrypted in transit. And the recipient needs to have a key as well, or they need a password that you would give them to be able to decrypt it. The true best encryption methods are, are for email are when both parties are using the same service. I don't think Gmail or Hotmail or Outlook.com or any of those really have it. And if they did, I wouldn't trust it, especially after reading Barton Gelman's book uh, with how in bed with the government a lot of those companies are. So if you truly want private email, go ahead and investigate email encryption for privacy and making sure that you also then also have a sort of non-repudiation because, well, hell, it's your private key that you're sending or that you're locking it with, and then the public key will open it up. Again, I'm not going to get too much into detail on the complexities of email encryption or PKI, public key infrastructure. If that's something you're interested in, I strongly recommend that you look up cryptography. There are a lot of businesses in cybersecurity or professions, I should say, that deal with encryption and cryptography, especially for individuals that are interested in math. This is a very good way to take your math background and translate it into a cybersecurity program or career. So with all that said, uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, again, I'm trying to speak a little bit slower. I'm going a little bit longer because of that, and I think it's okay. I hope you do as well. Again, just to conclude, these are cybersecurity defensive tools that we use at work, and we should also use at home. Remember, endpoint protection, VPNs for virtual private networks, password managers, MFA, multi-factor authentication, authentication, multi-factor authentication on the identity uh, and access management, or IAM, career track, and then digital certificates and email encryption on the cryptography track. So those are some professions, and I hope you investigate these, look at them, and deploy and implement for yourself if you're not doing so already. Thanks, and have a great day.